I don't know if you've heard the story of the Irish poet Brendan Behan. He was um, very well known for his lifestyle, and he was asked, he was approached by the Guinness Company to create for them a new slogan. And this was going to be their, their punchline. You probably heard, you know, Guinness is good for you and things like that. Well, he came up with a slogan. And what they did was, they, when they went to him, they said, um, will you do this? And he said, yes, but you'll need to deliver to me a crate of Guinness, and then I'll let you know. Well, several weeks and even months went past, and Guinness heard nothing from Brendan. And in the end, they went round to see him, and they said, well, have you got a slogan for us? And through a slurred haze of drunkenness, he replied, Yes, Guinness makes you drunk. (laughs) Bit of a waste of money on that part, wasn't it? But organisations and businesses and things, they do invest a lot of time and indeed money in writing that slogan, that vision statement, that thing that sums up what they're about so that people can take hold of it and use it and remember it. I sometimes watch adverts on television and wonder what on earth the advert was trying to advertise. Probably not the best um, effectiveness, but... We do invest time even in churches and schools and places like that, finding that way of summing up what we're about. You here at Linfield URC have a mission or a vision statement which says we're committed to empowering God through daily, encountering God, sorry, through daily praise, prayer and Bible reading, encouraging one another to discover and fulfil God's plan for our lives, demonstrating God's love, by meeting physical and spiritual needs local and worldwide. That sums up beautifully what the church's ministry to God is all about. Three things. Ministering to God in our worship and receiving from him. Ministering and nurturing one another as we grow in faith. And ministering to the world in seeking the lost and in meeting their needs. God has a vision statement, a mission statement, if you like. We at college love Latin. Graham's nodding at me over there. We like to always use a phrase that's in a different language to make it sound cleverer. Um, The one that comes up a lot at college is the Missio Dei, the mission of God. And I think that's beautifully summed up in Colossians 1 verse 20, where it says to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's what God wants. He wants all that he has created to come into right relationship with him and to know what it was created for, that loving relationship at the heart of God, to bring all things back so that we may share in God's love. Now, I've been given a mission statement for this morning because you were previously thinking about thy kingdom come. And the mission statement now is, thy will be done. God's will being done in our lives. They're very familiar words. We've already prayed them once this morning, haven't we? It's nothing new to us. But um, I wonder if I walked in here this morning and stood in front of you and said, I want you to do something for me, and then left. You might be sitting there thinking, what was all that about? What does Adam want us to do? And sometimes when we hear words like, thy will be done, we're sort of thinking, well, 
very well. I'd be glad to do it. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I've heard that phrase sometimes from different people. You know, tell us what to do and then we'll get on and do it. I once wrote a puppet sketch about a, pu- a puppet that was waiting by a red telephone. You know, like the things they had in Batman. And he was waiting for the call, waiting for God to send him on a particular calling or a mission. And whilst he was waiting to answer the phone, several other puppets came in and asked him to help with various things. The little boy whose ball was stuck in the tree. The lady who was struggling with the stuff she was carrying. All these different characters came in and he refused to help any of them because he was waiting for the call. But the call from God is already out there. He's already placed into our hearts and our lives and into the word that we read his call and as we've read in our reading whoever has ears to hear let them hear what God is calling us to do today that's that's that that wonderful thing let us hear what God has to say and God's call is evidenced in this reading It's a very familiar scene to the people that heard it. We tend not to see much sowing and reaping going on, and if we do, it usually involves some sort of vast machine. But back then, it was perfectly normal to see a farmer sowing seed, wandering along through the field with a sling bag. And in that bag would have been the precious grain, and it would have then been sprinkled on the land. And the seed in the parable, we know, we know it well. It lands in different places. And as a result, there are different outcomes for those seeds. Now, um, I love gardens and gardening. And hard work in gardens is something that I can watch for hours. Um, my, My dear wife tries to keep our back garden under control while I stand there looking, you know, supervisory. But I do know one thing, and that is that plants like certain types of soil, and good soil produces better crops than not-so-good soil. And actually, in gardening, sometimes preparation of the soil is the most important part. There's a heck of a lot of digging and ploughing in of less-than-pleasant substances into the soil to enrich it so that when it's planted, the seed will grow and grow well. Well, there are four types of soil, aren't there, in our reading? The first one is hard and compacted soil. Um, They didn't have roads and and paved pathways in quite the same way as we do in the time that Jesus was there teaching. And quite often there would be paths just cutting through fields where people had walked for many years and compacted the ground so it was so hard that any water that fell on it would just roll off, wouldn't sink in, wouldn't get down, nothing could grow in it, and anything that landed on it, and if you've ever planted grass seed, you'll know what I mean, because you plant it topically, don't you? It's visible. Um, The birds will come down and eat it straight away. Then there was the rocky soil. That was probably the soil adjacent to the path. And if you've ever prepared a flower bed or a, a, a vegetable patch, one of the things you do is you spend a lot of time taking the rocks out. Or, in some cases, putting stuff in to help with drainage. Rocky soil drains far too quickly. And therefore, things that grow may take a start, but then don't have the roots and they can't reach the water and then they wither. And then there's thorny soil. 
the battle with weeds is an ever, um, you know, ever-present uh, problem for gardeners. I've worked out a brilliant way of dealing with weeds, by the way. Weeds are plants in places you didn't grow them. So if you just accept that they're plants that you like, then you don't have to pull them up. But um, this isn't the sort of weeds that you might be thinking of, the little things that pop up through paths and things. This is talking about thorn bushes. It says that they were amongst the thorns. And thorn bushes in that part of the world were huge things, big, big things, with the most vicious spikes on them. The same thorn bushes, in fact, that were used to make the cross that was placed upon the head of... the crown, rather, that was placed upon the head of Christ and would have caused him great injury and pain. Even if something did grow in that and wasn't choked, the chances of the farmer harvesting it safely without severe injury was very, very small indeed. And then, of course, there was the good soil, the dark, rich, well-prepared and ready-to-go soil. The soil that was just there waiting for something to grow in it, with all the nutrients and everything that was needed. And there's no mystery as to what these soils represented. Because Jesus doesn't just tell the parable, but unusually goes on to explain it beautifully for us. These four types of soil speak of different people's response. There's ones who won't respond at all, that never respond, aren't interested in any way in hearing the word of God, like the hard soil. There are those who will respond superficially, but then they just give up. There are those who start out with enthusiasm or hope, but then very quickly the things of this world get in the way and they're drawn away again from the word. And then there are those who respond and grow to produce fruit. And in other versions of this same parable, it's not just fruit, it's the best possible crop. I think it's a hundredfold in one of the, one of the settings. A hundred, now, most ears of corn don't hold that much, so this is exceptional wheat produce. This is fantastic harvest. Some people have used this parable as a parable of judgment, a sort of measure so that we can tell whether people are saved or not by the amount of fruit of God we see in their lives. So we've got this sort of, right, these are the four types of soil. There's the person. Let's see how much of God working in and through them can we see. And gardeners sometimes, don't we? We take those, uh, well, I say, I say we. <coughs> Some gardeners take those soil test kits, you know the things, and you get the little thing and you dabble it and it tells you what sort of soil, what sort of quality of soil you're dealing with. And you need to know. But that, I don't think, is what this parable is trying to say to us. There are even people who will only invest their mission efforts in people they think they have a a chance of growing it in. Reserving it, making that judgment. This person's ready, I'll talk to them. That person isn't, I'm not going to bother. They make judgments about people. But in Matthew we read... Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's not what this parable is about. It's not about judging others. I said, uh, I was thinking about this earlier. If you want to use fruitfulness as a standard to measure the type of soil, 
restrict that measurement to your own little patch of soil and think what type of soil am I? What type of soil are you? Not as a means of thinking about others. Because this is a parable, not of judgment, but of generous, unrestricted and indiscriminate, some might even say reckless service, reckless mission. The soils show how people may respond to God's word. Some will accept it wholeheartedly. Some will reject it or take it on but then lose interest. And some will fall away. It's a sad statement of fact. But our interest isn't in so much the types of soil and the responses. We know that we're going to get different responses when we speak God's word. That's a a fact of life. That's what Jesus tells us. The joy here is in the action of the sower. And that's the character we should be associating with here. It's how he sows that makes this gospel story so wonderful. Seed today is relatively cheap. I bought some the other day to take to a park up in London to feed the birds. Cost me two pounds for a bag. But back then, it was precious, precious stuff. And you didn't go hurling the seed where you didn't know it would grow. The sower would be quite careful to avoid the paths and the rocky and thorny places. But not this sower. Here we see free, unabashed abandon in sharing the word of God. Great handfuls of the good news of God taken and flung in all directions. Distributed widely and freely and with love. That's what he's doing. Otherwise, it wouldn't have landed in those other places. Last week um, in the evening, Keith spoke to us about us being salt and light. He said, it's not a case of you're like it, you are salt, you are light, in the way that you live and in the way that you serve the world. Well, this week, Jesus is saying, we are sowers of the word of God. Not just like them, we are the sowers of the word of God. When we, when God says, thy, we say, well, thy will be done, God says, sowers of the word, be that, do that. That should be, I think, our mission statement for today. That we are to sow the word of God. It isn't with laser precision targeting that we do that. But it is without reservation. Letting the word of God permeate everything and every situation. We place Bibles in hotel rooms and people give and serve to do that. But we can put up posters, little texts around our homes and around our workplaces. We can wear badges. We can tweet it if that's one of the things that you like to do. Or you can Facebook it or Instagram it or Snapchat it. Imagine if every one of us who had a a social media account today went home and put a word of God up there in public. That's quite a lot of words of God. And you'd be quick and, and surprised how quickly those things get shared. But it's not, you might not be into social media. There are all sorts of situations where we can bring the word of God. I was talking to one of your colleagues here recently about the idea of teapot evangelism. You know... 
inviting people round when you're meeting with your Christian friends and inviting people who may be not people that know the Lord and having a cup of tea with them. And in that natural context, we talk about our stories all the time and maybe part of our story is how does God make a difference in our lives? Not through some sort of formulaic way of presenting the gospel. It can be very uncomfortable, can't it? You know, you, know, you say, good morning, good morning, I'd like... Um, I'd like um, a newspaper, please, and a box of matches, and a tango drink. Thank you very much. Yes, isn't the Lord's blessing rich upon us? Yes, yes, the Lord loves you. And well, Okay, if you feel bold enough to do that, fine. But, you know, there are natural ways of bringing God's truth into every situation. And that's what we can do. And we can pray with whole heart, earnest prayers that God will give us those opportunities to speak his word. I think sometimes we're not bold enough to do that. I was sitting on a train yesterday and I was reading a book and thinking, I wonder if what would happen if God said to me, talk to the man opposite about this, would I be courageous courageous enough to do it? Thankfully God didn't say that to me. But there are times when God does, and we need to be courageous in taking those opportunities. Let's flood the world indiscriminately almost with God's truth. When I was young, my granny's house always had something in it. It always had straw flowers on display, usually dried out ones that had been kept. You know, everlasting daisies, you know, the sort of thing. I mean, beautiful things. And a few years ago, I decided I was going to grow some for myself. And I ordered online the seeds, and the little packets came. But, you know, they didn't grow. I was really disappointed. It wasn't down to the soil type or the amount of warmth. It wasn't down to the drainage or the watering or the location. The reason they didn't grow is because I never planted them. We have the most precious gift to give to others. The word of God, his truth of salvation. We, we need, don't we? we? We shouldn't hold it back. It's useless if it remains in the packet on the shelf. We're called to sow the word of God. God sends us to sow the good news. So let's be like the sower in the parable. Don't hold back. Share the word of God, that his will may be done. Amen.